Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. All right. Can we put our hands together for all those watching online this morning? Let's just welcome them to the building today. Man, thank you so much for being with us online today. We're thankful for you. If you're going to follow me in Scripture today, I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. While you are going there, um, let me remind you of our service time changes coming up. We're going back to our two-service schedule on Sunday, October 3rd. Uh, that's not today, obviously, um, but next weekend is the last weekend for 10 a.m. only. So after that, it's October. I'm so thankful for fall um, that it's coming. If you haven't checked the weather, check out uh, Tuesday, Wednesday moving forward. Um, you're going to want to lift your hands and give God some praise. Um, so... Our new service times are a little bit different because we pushed the 9 a.m. back by 30 minutes to 9.30, and then we're keeping the 11 a.m. where it was. So 9.30 and 11, both fully staffed, both with um, uh, children's ministry available in every area. This is the first time we've been able to do that uh, since March of 2020. So um, I'm thankful for all of you who are serving, volunteering, uh, coming back, um, being courageous, and all of those things. And so we want to give room for some growth. And so 9.30 and 11 o'clock, October 3rd. A lot of you are asking as well because you've signed up for life groups. You've said, hey, we haven't heard anything yet. October 3rd. You will also be hearing from your life group leaders by that date. And so you'll know um, where to go, what time, what's going on. All of those things are coming uh, we met with that, that team this week, and so that will also be happening on October 3rd. So again, 9.30, 11 o'clock, Sunday, October 3rd. Second Kings chapter 13, I want to read a story to you that you have heard, and um, I have, have heard it, obviously, but I have not spoke from this topic many times um, in, in the ministry, and I love this story, and so today I want to revisit it. I want to bring out some truth in it. Um, I have dabbled with this from time to time, spoken it in small groups and, and whatnot, but this is such a great, great story, and I hope this morning I can bring some revelation to this and it can help you in some way. So let's look at 2 Kings 13. I'm going to read 14 through 20, and I also chose the Berean Study Bible as, as my text this morning. So that's the, that's the translation I'm going to be reading. Verse 14, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness from which he would die, Jehoash, king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel... And Elisha told him, pay attention to this, this sequence. 
take a bow and some arrows. And he himself took a bow and some arrows. And Elisha said to the king, put your hand on the bow. He put his hand on the bow. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Opened the east window. So he opened it and Elisha said, shoot. So he shot. And Elisha declared, this is the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram. For you shall strike the Arameans until you have put an end to them. Verse 18. And Elisha said, take the arrows. And he took them. And Elisha said to the king, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times. And then he stopped. Verse 19, the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Aram until you had put an end to it. But now you will strike down Aram only three times. And Elisha died and was buried. So what we're looking at this morning is a very prophetic conversation between two powerful men. In these days and times, the prophet and the king worked hand in hand. One of them led the organizational piece, the war efforts, the strategy. And one of them was responsible for hearing from God and declaring that over the people. He's also responsible for sacrifice, for the rolling forward of the sin. And so they had to work in tandem because God was blessing both of them, had favor on both of them, but in different ways. So as Elisha is sick, the king comes to him because this is someone who has been a confidant. He's been a friend, a colleague, someone who's helped him with all the victory. And anything good that has happened, I can promise you, it's because Elisha's hand has been on him. And then he unfolds this strange scenario and one that maybe Jehoash isn't keen to pick up on. But nonetheless, it is very prophetic. Elisha had a plan with it. And we see a mystery um, situation begin to be declared over the life of this king that he himself is not even aware of. Now, to give you a little context, as you know, Elisha was the pupil of Elijah. And together, they participated in 42 recorded miracles. Elijah had 14, Elisha 28. Many say that's contributed to the give me a double portion. So he had exactly double. These include four big miracles. Fire coming from heaven. Stopping rain for three and a half years, parting the Jordan, and several resurrections. Those are big, okay? If, if I had performed any of those, um, I'd be on the cover of Charisma magazine. These are big. And there's also four odd miracles that come with them. He prophesies that Jezebel is going to be eaten by dogs. He prophesies that leprosy would be healed by dipping seven times in the Jordan. An axe head floats. 
And then he called a bear out of the woods to eat children, mocking his bald head. Take it or leave it, it's in there. But this text today, what's ironic to it, what makes it really special as a communicator and, and as an audience, it's his last prophecy. Matter of fact, after this event unfolds, Scripture is clear that Elisha dies and is buried. This is the end of his ministry. This is it. The end of his life. The, the last conversation to be held between prophet and king. And so, in this text today, as this event unfolds, this could be the biggest teaching moment of Elijah's life. Not a single one of us have ever seen fire fall from heaven. We've never seen an, an axe head float. Hopefully a bear has never... Well, let's leave that, that one alone. We've, we've never seen a, re a resurrection. But one thing we can take is this last prophecy. And it has rolled forward in time and rolled forward in time and rolled forward in time until now we're talking about it. So let me explain this text and start getting us on board with what I believe that the Lord is speaking through Elisha to the modern day church. The first arrow, he calls it the Lord's arrow of victory. He says, so open the window, pull back your bow, and release it, this arrow of victory. It represented the future, somewhere out in front of us, somewhere that we really can't see, somewhere we've kind of got to squint to see where it lands. But regardless of all of that, it finds a target somewhere out there in, in the future. Pull back your bow and let go of the Lord's arrow of victory. This is the perfect metaphor, right, for how the future is supposed to look. Its potential is carved by our obedience, by our strength, by our personal effort. And if done well, it flies further than we can even see or imagine. The big idea here is that somewhere our next is definitely connected to our now. It's a big biblical principle. My tomorrow is connected to right now. My next year is connected to right now. My health in the next 90 days is connected to what I'm doing right now. There, there's a big connection between next and now. And this is part of Elisha's exercise. But then he goes to part two, and he asks the king to do one more thing. This is in verse 18. He says, now I want you to take arrows, and I want you to strike the ground with it. Now, this was not the Lord's arrow of victory. He said, that's the first one. These are just more arrows in a quiver. I want you to pull those out. I want you to strike the ground with them. And I think this is a strange request for both a king and for someone who is trained or familiar with a bow. Because why would I want to take a long-range weapon and shoot its arrows right in front of me and into the dirt? Why would I want to do that? 
And without explanation of this prophecy, I think this is why Jehoash was kind of resistant. And so the king does what he's asked until he stops. He takes three arrows out and he puts them right into the ground, right in front of him. And maybe he thinks a few things to himself. Maybe he says, I love Elisha, but he, he's dying. Maybe he's, he's losing it a little bit. Maybe he's senile, but I love him. And so I'm going to appease him, this final request of me, and I'm going to shoot an arrow into the dirt in front of me. Maybe, maybe he says, I'm the king of Israel, and I look foolish. I mean, I'm trained in this particular weapon, and I, I am shooting this into the dirt. I look like a fool. Maybe his thought is, I don't understand this point, but I've done it three times now, and so now I'm going to just stop and just see if that's enough for what Elisha is trying to teach me. It's at this point when the king stops that Elisha reveals his moment of truth. He says, you should have struck the ground five or six times because this represents the success of your future. Yes, the arrow of victory has been shot, but you are personally responsible for how that's going to play out. Now, let me, let me pause here for just a minute, because he says, I want you to be able to defeat Aram, and the Lord's hand is on you. The arrow of victory has been shot over your life. But the endurance is up to you. The confidence, the resilience, the grit is up to you. And when you don't shoot over and over and over and you stop short of what God has for you, it does not mean that the arrow of victory is not in your life but it means that you can fall short. You can sabotage what God has for your life. It brings a huge question up in my mind of this. How many battles are lost before they ever begin? Because we're only willing to shoot the ground three or four times, two or three times. Maybe we start with the wrong attitude or no confidence or no faith. And so because of that, we sabotage the arrow of victory in our life. The Lord wants to see something great unfold for every single one of us, but we have no faith or we have no confidence or we lose sight of the big picture or we think we look foolish or we do something to appease someone else. And because of that, we stop short of something that could be amazing in our lives. Shooting the arrow represents things that we cannot see, and striking the ground represents the things we can 
Again, it was, it was a partnership of prophecy. There's going to be one way out there, the arrow of victory over your life. Because you love me, because you serve me, there's going to be victory for you. But show me that you've got confidence. Show me that you've got, got faith. And you shoot the ground over and over and over again because it represents your right now, and that right now affects your next. So a few, a few quick points. The first one is this. Is your quiver full? Meaning, have you ever taken the risk of shooting the ground? Have you ever shot something with purpose into your future? Lost the arrow on purpose, if you will. Or is your quiver just full? I personally believe everyone in this room is loaded with potential. Why is that? Because I believe in purpose. I believe in spiritual purpose. I believe in godly purpose. So I believe every believer has an enormous call of God on their life to impact the world at the time in which they live in it. However, a lot of us in this room live our lives as though the arrows we have are too valuable to shoot. Like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my faith. I don't want to waste my confidence. I don't want to waste my skill set. I don't want to waste my giftedness. I don't want to waste anything, my resource on that. And so we kind of hold on tightly to the arrows which we've made. They look so nice, tucked away in that quiver. Some of you may even get them out and shine them and put them back. This may surprise some of you, but I have a gun collection. I know that's an abrupt seg- segue. I'll work on that later. But Every gun in there has a story. It was gifted to me. It came from a grandfather, a father, a friend. And occasionally, once or twice a year, I will get those guns out. And I will shine them. I will hold them. I will recall some of those guns came with letters. Maybe I'll read those letters again. And I will do all the things that you're supposed to do in the maintaining of a gun. A few years ago, Robbie bought me a gun. It's been a while now, maybe five years ago. And I I wanted this gun. I asked her for it. She bought it for me. That's how our marriage works. (laughs) It's that easy, folks, all the time. I'm going to... I'm going to write, it can be this easy for you too. I'll I'll just write an article one day. She asked me, I don't know, a year ago, have you ever shot that gun? The answer is no. I haven't. Not one bullet has gone through that gun. Why? Because I don't want to shoot it. I just want to have it. I want to show it to other people. Look look at this. (laughs) Is it fun to shoot? I don't know. Is it loud? It's quiet as it can be to me. Ever heard? Maybe. 
That's how we do our own potential, our own giftedness. We display it, shine it. But man, when you start thinking about doing something with it, kind of ups the ante. You start asking yourself all those questions like what if and you start to calculate all the things that could happen once you engage the things that are very important to you. And so I think that could be a lot of us. We organize it, we polish it, we shine it, and it makes for a semi-good story but it never really connects the now to next. Uh, we, we still kind of are in a very much of, of, of a safe zone. But what I love about arrows in contrast to other ancient weapons is that while you may use a sword, it never leaves your hand, but the arrow has impact only if you release it. It has to be released, and it has its greatest potential as a forerunner, if you let it go. And there is something in all of us. This is not just for Jehoash. This is for every believer in the room. There is something in your life that has to be released into the care and the trust of God because it activates something. It's how you use your faith. It's, it's like it's not enough just to have it. You gotta release it. You gotta put it out there into everyday life, into, in, in, into things that, that you're involved in, and release it and turn it loose. And man, that's so uncomfortable for a lot of us. I, I don't wanna let it go. I don't wanna. I don't, I don't, I don't want to run through my head the what, what, what might happen. What if I fail? What if I lose? What if I'm embarrassed? What if people disagree? And we run these scenarios over and over and over again. And so instead of releasing, we harbor it. But we're not supposed to die with our quivers full. In Acts 13, 36, I quote this to you all of the time, but it says, David served his generation, and then he died. David served it. He got out there, got his hands dirty, got his hands bloody, got talked about. But he served his generation. He said, listen, this is, this is my shot. This is, this is the hand of God on my life. I could have been my entire life a shepherd over my father's flocks. But God had a different plan for me. Can you imagine having a conversation with that guy? We all know him as the king and people have sung about him in the streets and he's dropped giants on fields of war. But for David, I think he, he remembers how his life was changed what it could have been. He went with it. He kept shooting arrows into the ground. So my second thought is this. Why are you saving arrows? Why am I saving arrows? 
It was a great TED talk. I don't I don't know if you've if you've seen this one, but it's by a guy named Dr. Pataniak. And Dr. Pataniak did this great um, teaching on on TED Talk about the connection between uh, Eastern and Western religious views and how they influenced each other. Now, stay with me. I'm going to go somewhere with this and just say The Indian mindset he taught approaches life with a very fluid context. It's just fluid. It's, it's very much a, a right now. What am I experiencing? Let's be present. Let's be mindful. And there was no pressure about I got to get something done. While the Western mindset is very set toward fact and logic, we are actually one of just a few cultures on this planet that celebrate you when you burn out. Like, way to go, man. You gave it your all, and now you can't even get out of bed. Congratulations. You wore yourself out. Good job. So we're based upon what what can I do? The checking off of lists, the calendars that are full. Always being somewhere else. We're now in meetings with two or three people, but we're simultaneously texting two or three people. Always two places at once. Always. And so Pataniak pointed out that since the Indian culture believes in reincarnation, they're not in a hurry. Because they believe they've got many lives to get whatever done that needs to be done. But this was very dissimilar from the Greeks who believed that each person only had one life, do what you got to do, get it all done, squeeze it in. And these two worldviews really helped us to understand how the Hebrew mindset works. Okay, So at the intersection of these two worldviews, the Hebrews were compelled by both because they knew they had one life, but yet they also knew that there was a part of them that had eternal significance, the arrow of victory. But yet they had a right now life, shoot the arrows into the ground. They were teaching and preaching, there is a now and there is a next, and they are connected. Empty yourself and then enjoy eternity. We too have the same mentality. We too teach from the same Hebrew concept. Live now, strike the ground. Live eternally, the arrow of victory. But why are we saving arrows? Why are we not shooting them? This this is, is a loaded question that only you can answer. Because it may be because of fear. It may be because of sorrow. It may be because of insecurities. You don't want to take take a risk, or you don't want to take a risk again. Kevin, I have the t-shirt for that experience. It did not work well for me the first time. I don't want to go back. So that part of my life is closed. I won't do it. You can't make me, and God can't either. We saved the arrows. Mick Fanning 
was a professional surfer. He had world titles in 2007, 2009, 2013. And in 2015, he was in a surfing competition and was attacked by a shark. Chewed his board up. He had some minor injuries, some bloodletting. But overall, he was considered unharmed. Six days later, he returned to another competition where the exact same thing happened. Attacked by a shark, board tore up, bloodletting. And the media came to him and said, man, I think this is a sign. You should probably stop. This rarely even happens, and it's happened to you twice in a week. And he said, there is no way I'm giving this up. He said, because in some of my darkest times, he said, you guys don't know me, you don't know my story, but in times when I had nothing, I had a surfboard. In times when I, I thought I was going to lose my mind, I would go to the ocean. He said, it's all I have at the core of me. This is what I have. The cameras can go away. The money can go away. The sponsorships can go away. The titles can go away. I don't serve for that. I serve for me. And man, when I, when I read that story, I think this is the level of determination that we all need to have to strike the ground over and over and over again. Regardless of what happens, Regardless of the storyline, regardless of things knocking on your door that you did not want to come knocking, but it came anyway. A storyline for you that you would not put on your worst enemy, but it happened to you. You got to have that thing on the inside that says, there, there's not a quitter in me. I believe still. I'm going to have faith still. I believe my life has value. I believe my gifts are still for the world. You can't allow fear to steal your future. As a lot of you know, my, my sister passed away from cancer a few years ago after a 10-plus year battle with it. Um, good times, bad times, good times, bad times. It would show up in another part of her body and they would treat it, and it would be great for a year, and it would show up somewhere else, and it would be more aggressive, and they would treat it, and, and it, would, it would go into remission, and then it would show up somewhere else. And, and finally, it just got to this place that it could not be treated. But I watched her life and, and, and saw her experience, and there were really two goals for her. She prayed all of the time, I want to see my kid graduate from high school. And that, that happened. But she decided, I'm going to take whatever time I've got, I'm going to put it into two things. I'm going to put it into my son, and I'm going to put it into my church. Now, if you don't know, her and my brother-in-law were pastors in northwest Arkansas. So she was very involved. And her service was at the church there. And just when you walked in, you could tell she had been there. Her creative hand had been on things. It's like you would walk in, you just knew that she was at the table that had the conversation 
about how that particular room looked. And her son got up and spoke, did an amazing job. I had to speak after him, which was not fun. Um, and I look at how she emptied herself in that last year or two years to make sure that she wrung herself out with her giftedness to put every arrow she had into the ground. Some of you have this same story. Someone close to you, someone that now you still grieve and will continue to grieve, and yet here you remain in this life. Heaven got sweeter, and maybe for you, your experience in here got more bitter. But God isn't done with you. It's appointed unto us once to die. We're all going to be there. As far as I know, the death rate in humanity is 100%. We have to shoot arrows into the ground. And sometimes you do it with hot tears running down your face. Sometimes you got to shoot arrows into the ground with the big question marks in your life. Sometimes you got to shoot arrows into the ground while you're broke. Sometimes you got to shoot arrows into the ground after someone that you did not want to leave left you. And you got to choose. I can either sit here and polish this and shine it till Jesus or death comes, or I can do something about it. The last arrow in your quiver is not a call to never rest. The last arrow in your quiver is a call to never settle. Now let me get to this last and final talk. Some in this building today and you watching online, you have to set your past on fire. All right? I'm, I'm, for the sake, time's sake, I'm, I'm not, not going to read it, but if you're taking notes, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 19 later and look, look at this. What I want to point out is this. Elijah goes up to Elisha, okay? This is pre the story that I'm reading. He goes up to Elisha. He puts his mantle on him, and Elisha says, whoa, 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 I, I can't do this. i got stuff to take care of. Long story short, Elisha ends up going, okay, I want the fullness of God in my life. He goes back. He tears down his plowing equipment and burns it, and he boils his oxen. You know why he did that? So he would have nothing to go back to. Well, if things get hard, I can always go back and farm. Not if you've <laughs> sold the tractor. So he burns the plow, boils his oxen, goes after Elijah. I bring this up because this prophet who is now standing with this king and saying, you need to shoot every arrow you have, that's coming from his gut. 
That's coming from his experience. That's a guy who burned his plow and boiled his own oxen to follow God. And now he's challenging a king to do the same thing. If I can do it, you can do it. If I can burn everything behind me, then you can too. The sun's about to set on my life, but I'm not coming at you with an empty sermon. I've, I've preached this and practiced this. That's what Elisha's saying. I've done this before. I've shot my own arrows into the ground. This is powerful. Because some of you get up every day in 2021, but you are living in 1990-something. And for you, it's like Groundhog Day. It's the same experience over and over and over with the same faces over and over and the same experience over and the same emotions over. And you are dealing with your memory more than you're shooting an arrow over your future. So let me apply this really quick. There's a lot of recurring themes that can happen right here when we get stuck. I've noticed a lot of recurring themes in some people's life is I wish I had I wish I had done that. I wish I'd done that when I was 25 or 35 or 45. I wish I'd done that. This comes out my there's a piece of property in, in Little Rock that's now got a major corporation on it. And my dad had the opportunity to buy it when he was a young man. And every time we drive by, he says, man, I wish I'd have bought that. Wish I'd have bought that. We do that in many different scenarios. I wish I'd done that. There's others of you who have a theme in your life, recurring theme. If I could redo that, I would. If I could go back, if I could change a few things, if I could rewrite a chapter, I'd do it. Man, if I could, ju- if I could take that one person out of my life, I'd do it. If I could take that one night, I'd do it. And they live there. And there are still others who have a theme that says, why doesn't that ever happen for me? Everything in life is about a comparison. About how good that person's life is and that person's life and that. that. And we, we were already like that and you add social media to it. It's just gas on an existing fire. If you notice that you stay in a state of regret... It may be that you need a seismic shift in your guiding principles. Regret makes a terrible friend. So applying this, I I, I would say this. Shoot the arrow of victory far. Some of you today, you need to pull back your bow until your arm shakes, until you can't hold it anymore. You need to put so much tension on your life and then let something in you go. Let it go. Believe again, trust again, love again, 
hope again, come to God again, but pull that thing back far. Let an arrow of victory go in your life. Then you need to empty your quiver in this life. Don't leave anything. And you guys know what I mean when I say, don't leave anything in your life for your kids or your grandkids. Empty it. Take everything you got and wring it out. And then some of you need to pile up your past. You need to set that thing on fire. You need to burn the plow. You need to boil the oxen. We can go into all kinds of scenarios and real life history on that statement right there. Do whatever it takes to not, not go back. Okay. So I want you to bow your heads with me for just a second. I want to talk to your heart.